That's that song right there, ain't it, brethren? God is love. So thankful that you're here this morning. What a what a a great time to get to come together and worship the Lord. Amen. What a great time to come together and get to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am so excited that you are here. I'm so excited to see some faces that I hadn't seen in a while uh, and some guests. Thank you for being here. You are an honored guest, and, and I hope that we will uh, hug you and love on you the right way. I'll try not to hug hard this morning, but I really am excited uh, that you're here. This morning, if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. The title of my lesson is Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance. I want us to, we're kind of walking through the book of Acts and I want us to stop for just a minute and, and take some time to look at Paul as he talks to those on Mars Hill. Very powerful lesson. But thinking about that, before we get started, have you ever been so sure of something? I hate to say this, but I'm that way. I'm so sure of something, and I end up not being right most of the time. I'm going to brag on Erin. I've, I've kind of beat her down a little bit, but I do love her so much. But uh, usually the way this works out is I'm so sure of something, and she corrects me and says, no, that's not right. And I say, yes, it is. I'm sure of it, right? I am so sure. And I end up being wrong. I'm sorry, babe. I love you. You know, forgive me, please. I think I know everything, but I don't. You do. So, no. I love you, babe, so much. I love you and I appreciate you. But I do want us to think about this thought of assurance. Assurance, that word. The Greek word means proof or conviction. A conviction, and it goes on and it illustrates it in the context uh, from verse 31. Uh, it says a truthfulness of God or faith or a strong belief that something will happen. And I like the ending of what one of the definitions was. It was the reliance upon Christ for salvation. Very interesting way to put that, especially thinking about what we're about to talk about. Just to get us into the context, Paul leaves Berea after the Thessalonian Jews are upset and they go basically into Berea and they kick him out again and the brethren move Paul onto Athens. And it says that, In verse 15, so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed, they departed. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. I want us to think about that for a minute. While Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. 
Here's a quick question. Does it bother us when we go out into the community, when we go out to our jobs, when we go out to uh, fellowship and be around the world, does it bother us when we see what people are given into? What people think is the most important? Does that bother us? Is there any sense of, ah, that's not the right thing to do? Is there any sense in our lives that I don't need to be a part of this? So much so that we may say something about it? Paul was provoked. He saw this city had been given over to idols. So what does he do? He goes to the synagogues. He goes to the marketplace. He goes wherever he can, wherever people were at, and guess what he does? He preaches the gospel. Man, I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Paul. I want to have my mind so fixed in such a way that you know what? I want to tell somebody the gospel just as soon as I talk to them. But what do these people say? Look at verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? I was kind of looking at what this says, and, and one of the guys said that he was a seed picker. Here's what Paul would do, is he would go and he'd just get different types of religions, whatever he thought was good, and he'd put it all together, and then he'd come to you and he'd act like he knew this brand new doctrine. He was a seed picker. That's what these guys thought about him. They thought he was just somebody who was giving them a bunch of stuff. Why was it though? Because others thought that he was a proclaimer of foreign gods. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He was preaching something that they had never heard before. And they were interested in it. These types of people at Athens were those guys that uh, wanted to hear something new. They were always ready for something new that they could hear and, and, and they wanted to, it says in verse 19, and they took him and brought him to Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all Athenians... All the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. They wanted to hear something new. One of the writers of the time said this, When they should have been up doing, they went around asking, Is there any news? <laughs> These dudes weren't even trying to work. These guys weren't even trying to do anything. All that they were trying to do was find the brand new scoop. They wanted to know something new. They were obsessed with it. Which brings us to verse 22. Look at what it says. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one who 
you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now think about this for a minute. Think about what he's just said. And here's another question. Does it bother you when you see things that are uh, not right outside and in, 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 in where you're at, where you live, the things that you do, when people come around you, your friends, does that bother you? Well, uh, think about this. Think about what Paul did. Were you looking for an opportunity? Paul sees this inscription on this altar and it says to an unknown God. And guess what Paul does? There's my end. There's my end right there. I'm going to be able to use this, their altar, and I'm going to be able to preach the gospel to them. Think about the application for us. Think about the application for us in that. Do we, are we looking for an opportunity or does it just not really matter? And that makes me sad to think for one minute that preaching the gospel and looking for opportunities to show somebody the hope that is within us wouldn't be number one on our life. So look at what he says. He says, Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined there are pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Now I want to stop right there. I want us to think about what Paul has done. He sees this inscription of the unknown God. And he jumps on it. He jumps on the opportunity. He's, he's led off to this hill where everybody's staring at him. The spotlight is on Paul. And what does he do? He finds a way to get in with them. What did he say? I become all things to all men so I can save what? Some. What was his mission? What was his focus? It was to get in with the people. It was to get in with the people so he could do what? Tell them about the Lord. As children of God, as Christians, as saints, we have a blessed assurance, brethren. And I hope this is you. We have a blessed assurance because we know our God. Think about Paul. Think about the confidence that he talks to these uh, Athenians about it. 
He says that he made the world and everything in it this God. And since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Because he doesn't need anything. Because he gives life and breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. We talked about this in class a little bit. In Genesis 3.20, the Bible says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. We all come from God. Amen? We all originally have come from God. And I want us to think about this. Look at verse 26. I want to zero in on this for just a minute. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. We see that God has providentially put nations how they are. We see how the world has developed. And people in appointed places and appointed times. You think about the purpose of God exalting a nation for a period of time. I know on Wednesdays y'all been studying the Old Testament. You could see this powerfully. God would raise up a nation. Well, what was the reason for that? What was the reason for him to exalt the Babylonians? What was the reason for him to exalt these nations? For them to turn back to God. We see it so many times. He would raise up the nation and they, he would want them to turn back to him because he was the one who was going to give them the right guidance, right? What blessed assurance we have to know that God is with us. God guides us. God shows us what we need to do not to be mean for us to be successful. Why do we turn from him? Why do we treat him like he's just an old mat? An old mat. But Paul had assurance in who his God was. He tells these seekers, he tells them, because of him, we live and move and have our being. This unknown God that you don't know about, I'm going to tell you about him. He's the God that in him you live and you move and you have your being. You breathe because of him. Think about that, brethren. We breathe because of God. He makes a tree so it can produce more air so we can take a breath when we disrespect him. When we don't do what he tells us to do. We still breathe in his air that he made for us. Paul even tells them that your own poets talk about his offspring. What does he say? He says uh, in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. What is he doing? He's pointing it to our God. Jehovah, Yahweh, I am. 
Paul is showing them the assurance that he has in his God. God has made every person. We're all a gift from God to our parents. Amen? And what, uh, what he wants more than anything, and I want you to hear this if you don't hear nothing else, he wants a relationship with you. With you. The beauty of our God is that He will not force it on us as we talked in class. We get a chance to do it on our own. How much joy God has when we choose to do it on our own and serve Him. Have you thought about your life? Have you thought about if you have that assurance in the Lord Almighty, if you do, it's going to be evident. It'll be seen. Why did He raise these people up? Why did He have these situations with these people? Yes, it was turned to, uh, to turn back to Him. And I want you to just listen to what verse 27 says. So that they should seek the Lord. In the hope. God is hopeful in the hope that they might grope for Him. That they might grope for Him and find Him. Why were these things going on? What, were the, what is the whole point of, of God and man? For us to seek Him, to grope Him. The Greek word means to reach out for and grab a hold of. Is that what we're doing in our lives? Are we reaching out to grope and find the Lord? Or does it even matter? Is it really just not that big of a deal? To Paul it was. To Paul it was because here were these people who were living in such a way that they were going to go to hell. Separated from God. If we have a blessed insurance in our God then we don't want anybody to be separated from Him. Anybody. Even us. Look at verse 30. He says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men Everywhere to repent. He commands everybody, everywhere to repent. It's one thing to believe in who Jesus is. It's one thing to believe in who He is and what He did. And, and, and you know, uh, sometimes we say that's great, you know. I appreciate what he did. But it's another thing to show it. How do you show it? By your repentance. By your turning from. By your turning away from the way that you're living. By putting him back on the pedestal that he needs to be on and take yourself off. Boy, I've been on that pedestal before. Anybody else? I've been way up here. And I thought, you know what? I know it all. 
I'll do it later. I'll get right later. I got time. But we don't have time. We don't know what holds the next few minutes. We don't know what will happen. And here's the other thing. Look what he says in verse 31. Because he has appointed a day. Uh Uh-oh. A day. There's coming a day. And this day is a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By the man who he has ordained. What confidence, what assurance I know that God is telling me the truth. And if he's telling me the truth, then what does that mean for my life? That means I have to take it serious. God takes all the fun out, don't he? Makes your life boring. You got to come in here and just sing songs. You got to come in here and take the Lord's Supper every week. He's a boring God, isn't he? I beg to differ on that. I get to come in here every week and think about what he did for me. Every week, I get to be the instrument. I'm the instrument. I get, I'm a terrible singer, y'all. And I bet some of y'all can hear me. And you know what? I don't care if I'm terrible or not. Because the Lord thinks I am the best singer ever. I can't keep a tune to save my life. I used to be embarrassed to do it. But you know what? Not anymore. Because I'm the instrument. (laughs) I get to have worship with my God. And that's an assurance that I have. And that we all should have. Man, I love it. Man, I love the Lord. I'm so thankful for Him. I'm so thankful that He's forgiven me of my sins. Which leads me to the next point. Who did He ordain? Who did He ordain to judge us? Jesus. Jesus. I want us to think about this. Romans 5. Chapter 6, verse 6 through 11. Very familiar verse, but boy, it's so powerful. It's so encouraging. Just listen to what this says, brethren. Listen, you may be here today and you may not be a Christian. Listen to what this says for you. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, toward you. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, willingly gave up His life for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through Him. 
For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. I say amen to that. I say hallelujah to that. You know what? Because if Jesus don't get up, none of this is possible. But guess what? He got up. He was resurrected. That changes the game. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, Oh, God can't forgive me for what I've did. Here's what I want you to realize. If you have that mind frame, then what you think is Jesus' blood is not good enough. But it is. It's good enough to cleanse you every time you mess up. And clean you up. That's some powerful blood, ain't it? My blood wouldn't do nothing but stain you. Not his. But we first have to submit to the change. We have to repent. And we have to understand that He knows best and we don't. So we can have assurance because we know what God has done for us. Look at verse 31 back in Acts 17. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in the righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all, every person, by raising him from the dead. What separates Christianity from anything else? Jesus being raised from the dead. That's the difference. That's why we do what we do. I'm thankful. Did you not hear what he says in Romans? That we're saved from the wrath by his death, but we're saved to life because he resurrected. Man, what a combo! I get forgiven of my sins and I get to go to heaven. Why is that so important? Why does Jesus' resurrection give us assurance? Because when we obey the gospel, we get to be just like Jesus. Now hang with me and I'm about done. Not only are we raised to walk in newness of life spiritually when it comes out when we come out of the watery grave of baptism, look at what it says in Romans 6, 4. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we come out of the watery grave of baptism, guess what? We are supposed to walk in a newness of life. Why is that? Because my sins are washed away. Man. I used to be so envious of people coming out of the water and standing up here because, man, they was clean, boy. They was like a brand new car. Shiny wheels and everything. But here's the beauty of being in Christ. Every time you sin, you get to be cleaned up again. 
Lord, forgive me. I'm silly. I think I know what I'm doing and I don't. And I keep messing up. Lord, be with me. Help me. Guide me. Protect me. Send people around me to help me. And guess what he does? He's faithful and he's just to forgive you. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so, right? Little bitty baby kid song that we all know. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me, right? I stand alone on the word of God because it's true. But not only are we saved uh, spiritually, we're saved from death physically. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. As we close this morning, I want us to consider two things. First, God is a God who loved us, who loves us, and has made all humanity... And He did it because He wants us to seek and find Him. In the hope is what it says. He says, in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him. Are you groping for the Lord? Are you reaching out for the Lord in your life? Verse 32 and 34 says, And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. (laughs) Some made fun of Him. While others said, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Think about that. Think about these three characters. Some of them made fun of them. You may be here today and you may have that mind frame. I hope not. What a joke. Same old thing every time. This is a joke what we're doing. Others may be here and they may say, I'll hear that again. One day I'll get with you. Once I get done doing what I need to do, I'll get back with you and we'll get it right. But I hope that you're here this morning and you're of these type of people, the ones who joined Him and understood what they needed to do and understood if they were living a life that was contrary to God's Word that they were willing to change it because all men can be changed. By Jesus and His blood. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Brethren, when we walk out of here, sing that song, be that song, be that kind of people. And when we can be that kind of people, we'll show everybody in the whole wide world that we have a blessed assurance and it's in Jesus Christ.
Maybe you're here today and you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you're here and you need to become a Christian. Don't wait anymore. Don't put it off anymore because he could come back at any moment. You do it by believing who he is. Believing who Jesus is and what he did. He came, he died, and he rose again. By repenting of your sins, turning from the way that you've been living. By confessing in front of men that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And being baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That is so big. That is so big. I'm so thankful that I was baptized into Christ. Because my sins have been forgiven. Not according to what somebody taught me. Not according to what somebody said. But according to the Bible. According to God's plan for salvation. I can have my sins forgiven no matter how bad they were. Washed away. Clean slate. Start over. And then Jesus says in Revelation 2.10, Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Just keep going. Keep fighting a good fight like Paul said. Keep doing what you're doing and keep serving him with all that you can. Maybe you're here and you need to repent. Maybe you need to have the prayers of the saints. Whatever you need, come right now together. We stand and sing.